The Adventure Jogger, a podcast about trail and ultra running. Meet fascinating runners from the front, middle, and back of the pack, sharing inspiring and funny stories about life and running. Running should be fun, and so should running podcasts. I'm your host, Ryan Pluckelman, and this is The Adventure Jogger. One of the guests that has been on my wish list for a very long time <laughs> is Sally McRae. I've wanted to talk to Sally for years, and then during the pandemic, um, we started talking back and forth uh, via email. And honestly, the universe was conspiring against us because this has been <laughs> a, a six-month-long process of Sally's busy, I'm busy, she's remodeling a house, uh, I'm getting work done in my house, she's got to travel with the kids, I have to go drop my daughter off at college. It has been a whirlwind, but it is finally happening. Here it is. Uh, two hours past my bedtime, but because I'm on the central time zone, um, it's late here, but it's not late where Sally's at. Sally McRae, uh, thank you for, for slumming it and, and, and joining me on this tertiary running podcast. It's nice to finally talk to you after, uh, just email after email after email. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you, Ryan. I appreciate your endurance, your perseverance and your patience, uh, I always appreciate an opportunity to just connect and, and be able to share in this way. So thank you for having me. I was thinking about this as because uh, I've been up since uh, three o'clock this morning and <laughs> and it's like nine o'clock where I'm at right now. So I, I was thinking this could be like a night run. You know how fun night <laughs> runs are? Yes. <laughs> one person is sleepy. The other person is not. So you may at right? some point have to have to like jostle me, me awake I don't know. Your energy is pretty good, Ryan. So what are you drinking over there? <laughs> just, just plain water. Just plain water right now. <laughs> I love it. All right. I want to hear the whole Sally McRae story. That's, that is why I am here. That is why Aww. you are here. Let's kind of start right from the beginning. Where did you grow up, Sally? I grew up in Costa Mesa, California. It's a, a small beachy town um, about 35 miles south of L.A. So I must really enforce the fact that I did not grow up in L.A. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. I have this ongoing conversation with friends, you know, around or whenever I travel. They're like, oh, yeah, L.A. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. It is very much not L.A., but... Uh, yeah, it's a smaller, chill, laid back city. Um, pretty much spent most of my life there. And then after college, although I didn't think I would, I did end up, um, staying there, but just in the city right next to it, Huntington beach. So, um, yeah, that, that was home for me for a long time. Okay. sounds kind of like where you grew up. You know, earshot mm -hmm. to LA is kind of where I'm at now. Earshot to Nashville, where everyone thinks like, "Oh, you live in Nashville," and it's like, "Well, <laughs> I'm like 40 minutes out of Nashville." And then they always ask, "Do you know any country and western singers?" 
Yeah. And, and, <laughs> I and, love it. And believe it or not, I don't. I, I've not I've not <laughs> encountered any. I, I met Chris Stapleton once at a bar and that was <laughs> that that was about it. So you you grew up out on, on the West Coast. When, when did running become a part of your life? Was it early on or was it something mm-hmm. later? Yeah, it was early on. It was but the way it was a part of my life was more of like a supplement to the other sports that I was really passionate about, like gymnastics and soccer. So when I was seven, I ran my first local, you know, one K race. And, um, you know, I knew at at a young age, I was pretty fast. I love being fast. I love running. I love playing tag. I love, uh, you know, any type of, of running sport that we did in, in school or, you know, I was always jumping in on flag football with the boys in the neighborhood. I was, I was kind of a, a very rough around the edges, tomboy, uh, pretty much my all of school, even, even into high school. So running was just, um, I loved it just at its core, like in its very raw sense, but I didn't really start seriously competing in it until after college. So yes, it was, it was just always a part of my life. And when I was on a soccer team, our coaches wanted us to stay in shape and practice leg turnover and speed and strength. Mm -hmm. So I was actually a sprinter in high school. I thought anything beyond the 400 meter was just ludicrous (laughs) and insane. And, um, so I just, I stuck to the, the short distances, uh, on the track. I was the same way. I was a sprinter in high school, and I'll never forget. Oh, okay. um, one day, it was Coach Coach Furlong was the name of my track coach, and he was mm-hmm. like, "Everybody today is running five k, <laughs> three miles for everybody." And he mapped out this route, and I remember getting about eight hundred meters into that training day and going, "This is the why would anybody do this? This is stupid." <laughs> And now look at where you are now. I know. <laughs> you know, dreams can, you can dream big kids. You too someday can, can host everyone's third, fourth, or fifth favorite, favorite running podcast. Make- <laughs> I love it. <laughs> what do you do when there's not a new episode of Trail Runner Nation? You look for other ones. And then you, if you don't take yourself too seriously, you go, oh, adventure jogger. That could be. That oh, could I be love it. And you check it out. Um, you did say gymnastics. Does that mm-hmm. mean there are pictures of, of young Sally McRae in a gymnastics pose? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There is. It was, uh, yeah, I did all the sports that um, I did all of like the explosive sports as, as a little girl, like mm-hmm. all the things that that form your quads to be gigantic. So a gymnast, a sprinter and a soccer player. So I still, I joke around with people because, um, the ongoing conversation in, in my life has always been that I do not look anything like a, I guess like a a typical endurance runner, which I completely agree with, but I also love so much because I spent, you know, the first 18 years of my life really fashioning my body to be, an explosive, powerful, like more sprinter, short, you know, short distance runner. Um, so yeah, there's pictures of me playing soccer of, of gymnastics and, um, and sprinting. So, uh, you know, I definitely took a turn in my (laughs) twenties trying to carve out an endurance (laughs) body, but still haven't been, been successful at that. (laughs) Isn't that funny though? And, and don't you think as a woman, there is mm-hmm. way more body pressure 
on you than a male athlete. Like everybody has the idea of what a female athlete should look like in various sports. And they don't, they don't have just any issues at all telling you that like, you don't look like a, like a distance (laughs) runner, Sally. Yeah. And you know, I, I love, I really love getting into conversation about that. I, and I love speaking to it whenever I get an opportunity because I definitely tread on the side of, of just looking at it at a, at a positive angle than I do like a bitter angle. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, like in social media right now, I mean, social media is so powerful. It's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's kind of all in your face when it comes to a topic that people are passionate about. And for many years, especially in the last five years, a lot of women tend to, um, you know, they'll post like the side-by-side picture of like, if I stand in this angle, then I look like this, but the reality is this, you know, it's like, right there's a million of those pictures and it's almost like, yeah, like the reality is like, we can all be idiots and really believe that our filtered photos are reality, or we can just kind of accept our bodies for how they are when we're sitting in different positions or we have different clothes on, or you take a different angle with the camera. Like, yeah, our bodies look differently. And, and, you know, and then there's also the other discussion of um, like kind of what you were saying, just, you know, the woman and how people focus on, um, on women's bodies and what they should look like and that pressure and all of that. And what I have, I have found over the years is there were a couple times that I decided to do a really specific post kind of relating to that topic. Mm -hmm. And one of them was back in 2000, 2016, I'm standing on top of a mountain. I'm wearing these, my black split. It was my Nike running kit, like my racing kit. And I was wearing yellow sports bra and I'm backwards hat. I'm on top of a mountain and you can see, I'm just, as I have been since the day for as long as I can remember, I'm naturally pretty muscular. And then when, if I lift weights, I get even more muscular, but my, my whole point in writing this caption was I start off by saying, you know, the other day someone asked if I was a kickboxer and then I, I kind of explained how in all of my career, People have always thought I was either a crossfitter, a swimmer, a triathlete, um, a figure competition, you know, like bodybuilder, all that stuff. I, I, I can only count, you know, really in all my life, maybe 10 times that someone has actually asked me if I run. And so the angle I was taking with this was just how amazing it is that regardless of, of the way that people look at us or assume based on our figure that we can really do whatever we want if we so love it and really work toward it. Because I don't, I don't look like my sport, but yet I represent a huge uh, community of women that, that maybe do look like me. And so, um, anyway, this particular post from 2016, it went, it was shared so many times, thousands of times across Facebook and Instagram and was picked up by magazines that reposted it over and over self magazine and women's running all these people picked it up. And then people reached out to me to write, will you write a blog on this? We, and I said, you know, and I pretty much refused to do anything beyond it because what I realized was that a lot of people started picking it up and turning it into more of like, you know, I am woman, hear me roar. And then it was just kind of ripping to shreds any person that questions the way that, that a woman looks. And, but really my experience is let's look at it from a positive standpoint, because I do get asked constantly by men and women about my body. 
Now there is a time in my life where I was actually like really frustrated with my body. So I would try to cover it up. I'd wear long jackets and several layers of clothes. And whenever I would do life coaching, I was always wrapping sweaters around my waist. And my whole thing was like, if I can just cover it up then it won't be a topic of discussion. And then maybe people will get to know me in a different way. But then I realized too, is like, you know, if I, am encountering people that are asking questions about my body, I can do one of two things. I can be totally negative about it, or I can flip it around and I can make it into a positive conversation, even if that wasn't their motive. But what I I started to find was that if I just like let myself walk around in in shorts and tank tops in a grocery store, um, and it is about 99.9% of the time, I'll probably get stopped. What I, I did a little experiment and I realized that both men and women will stop me, but it isn't because they want to criticize me. It's because a lot of times they're looking for answers themselves. Mm-hmm. They're looking for someone to kind of help them either encourage them or help them understand something. And so, you know, I, I talked to this one woman one day in Whole Foods and she, you know, I, I turned around because she said, wow, what is it that you do to get legs like that? And I said, you know, I, I love to run and I do lift weights. But when I looked at her, she was like this gorgeous, strong, very fit woman. woman. And she looks at me and says, I, I, I'm so frustrated with my body. I've been working out with a trainer for two years and I can't get my legs like yours. And this is a perfect stranger. And in that moment, I thought she can't see how beautiful and strong that she is. Like her body is fashioned in such a way that's unique to her, but she can't see it because she's so focused on what she doesn't have. And I really think at the root of all of the body talk, many times that is just what it is. The women who are the most greatly offended are many times the ones that are so um, discontent with their own bodies that the only thing they can do is get online and kind of rant and rave about it. And, you know, so for me, I have kind of taken the stance of, I'm not going to talk about my body so much, but I am going to show you all the amazing things that I, that I can do with my body and encourage you no matter what you look like to do great things with your body too. And I think that is, that's the better conversation. Cause at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what we look at. Like it matters what, we, what we're doing with what we look like. And that's one of the things I love about you, Sally, is you do, <laughs> you do take that, that road so often. And it is that, mm-hmm. that, that positive switch. And it is so true that mm-hmm. there is so much pressure on women that is not applied to men. No one has ever, you know, come up to me at the Kroger's. That's our grocery <laughs> store here in the South. Yeah. <laughs> There's no S on it, but people call it the Kroger's. Um, <laughs> But no, yeah, no one's ever came to me at the Kroger's and said, hey, how can I look like a doughy middle-aged man? (laughs) You know, or yeah. yeah. So, but but, but (laughs) one of the things I, one of the many things I love about you, Sally, by the way, I have a hard time believing that anybody would assume you're a CrossFitter because if you were a CrossFitter, you would have told everyone by now. Right? Yeah, that's the I mean, I, I, <laughs> vegans and CrossFitters. We don't have to ask. We've already been told multiple times. Oh my gosh, that is so good. Yes, <laughs> yes. And it, it is it is constant. I, I, I kid you not. Okay, and I, I don't make this up. If I wear my workout clothes anywhere, 
Um, and you know, and sometimes it can be a little overwhelming because sometimes it's like, man, I just want to go get a cup of coffee or I just want to go into the store. Um, you know, they'll, they'll usually be a little comment. So yesterday I was in my workout clothes. I walked into the coffee shop and, you know, I ordered my, my, my coffee and right as I was about to step away from the counter, the girl goes, wow, do you compete? And I thought for a split second, I was like, awesome. She knows I'm a runner. And I was like, yeah, I do. And I had this huge smile on my face. I'm like, someone, someone knows that I'm a runner. And then I like paused and I go, wait a minute. Are we talking about the same sport? Cause she right away said, I compete too. What level are you? And I was like, oh no. And I start giggling and she's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Uh, are you not a figure competitor? <laughs> and I go, no, not at all. I'm a dirty mountain runner. <laughs> but what was so cool was that, you know, keeping that jovial, positive viewpoint of like, my body is an opportunity to connect with people. And the conversation that came after that was so awesome because what she ended up sharing with me was like, I've been so frustrated in my training and like, can we just have a conversation? Well, anyway, I ended up making a friend and this is a coffee house that I go to all the time. So me and this barista are friends now because <laughs> instead of me being like, so offended that what I don't look like a runner or how could you just assume or what the heck, who do you think you are? It's like, you know what? Like what a joy that because of the way I look, People want to have a conversation with me and it's my opportunity to really steer that conversation to a way that's positive. So it was just awesome because I had this opportunity to totally encourage her in her journey and I made a friend and I'm excited to go back there and see her again. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's, there's always two ways that we can look at life and we are always the master of, of the reaction. So if it's negative, we either invite that negative criticism to sit and, and sink into our hearts or we, or we don't. So, um, yeah, I'm all about the, the positive angle of the comments that, that come at a woman. You can take it and have so much power over it and use it in such a strong and positive way. I'm inspired by that. Um, <laughs> Sally, about two years ago, or maybe three, um, I saw... Uh, a post that that Tim Olson had on, mm. on on Facebook or Instagram, and he mm -hmm. was he was wearing um, tights, but they were three quarter length. They mm -hmm. were what I lovingly refer to as man pre's, and yep. he, and he said they're great because you you know they're not as you know you get you breathe your ankles breathe and it's yeah. it's, it's it's like the best running tight ever. And I bought mm. I bought a pair of those. Um, mm -hmm. and, I, and I wear them around town. Now, where Tim Olson is in Boulder, um, the world is a little more accepting of a man in three-quarter length tights. <laughs> Down here in the American South. <laughs> Which, by the way, I was just in Tennessee two weeks ago. Well, so, yes, go on. <laughs> what were you doing in Tennessee, Sally? Uh, I was working on a film project. So, I've been, I've been doing little, little trips here and there. But we were oh. in the great... Mountains. Oh yeah. <laughs> man. But but yeah, so 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 I've I I've not gotten the same results that you have when I wear them. Usually I'm <laughs> I'm obscenities are yelled at me uh, by men in pickup trucks. 
that, that have very poor exhaust systems in them. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I'm, I'm going to try that tomorrow. I'm gonna put my man prees on and I'm going to oh go to the God. local Starbucks and see how long it takes me to get shot, which will be. <laughs> 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 Sir, we don't serve men in man trees. We're Boy. pretty sure that's connected to COVID. Can right. you step out? Which, which I don't know about where you're at, Sally, but down where I'm at, the Rona is some sort of is, is a hoax, and people are like, "This is baloney." You know, don't don't wear your mask. It's a little yeah. No, we I, I noticed that very quickly when I was there. Yeah, mask. <laughs> the hell are you wearing a mask for? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yep. So, so Sally, you 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 kind of at high school, you're you're a sprinter. You know, mm-hmm. you, you you ran a one k once, and that was god awful. <laughs> when did you? discover the the wonders of of endurance running yeah you know that was that was right after uh college you know i i had had a a lifelong dream of becoming a professional athlete i mean for as long as i can remember when i was a little girl it was first like mom i'm gonna go to the olympics as a gymnast i mean that that was Mm. like when i was six like that was where the dream started i just always believed in my heart that um that being an athlete was my career path. I loved using my body. I very quickly un, like understood that I was fast and I was strong. Um, and so, you know, gymnastics, I grew up in a family of seven. We didn't have a lot of money. Gymnastics is like one of the most expensive yeah. sports, most time consuming, biggest commitments. Um, so I quickly learned that that was not, you know, that was not going to be a, a doable path for me, but Soccer, on the other hand, was something that um, that I was able to do. And, you know, I I was a uh, in high school around the time when, you know, Mia Hamm and Brandy Chastain and, you know, they're women that winning the Women's World Cup. And it was just, you know, they were the trailblazers for women's soccer. And I re- I just hopped right on that. I mean, I remember going to a soccer camp with those with those uh, pros and just being so enamored with their lives and how they trained and the dedication and, and their passion for the sport. And, and so by the time I was 16, I was all in, you know, I was, I was training twice a day. Um, you know, and, and at that time too, I was also working. So I would go to school. I would train with my club team after school. I would go work at the coffee house till 10. And then I go to the gym for like two hours after that. And then I come home and do my homework and kind of repeat. Um, so I did that for many, many years and really the, the, I guess like the bump in the road in that journey was losing my mom at 17. When I lost her, um, at 18, I became the guardian to my younger sisters. Um, I continued working a couple jobs and I just really believed in my heart that, you know, all those years of buildup and, and hard work and, and dream chasing were, turned upside down and thrown down a drain when my mom was, was buried. And so it was really difficult for me to understand what I was supposed to be doing with my life. And so, um, last minute, a friend like walked me onto campus at Biola university. It was like, your mom would be devastated if she knew that you threw your dream away. Cause I was gonna be the first one in my family to go to college. Yeah. I had all these colleges coming after me to, to, you know, for a soccer scholarship, but I just ignored everyone and, 
And so, you know, I, I walked onto Biola and um, a bunch of the girls on the team gave up some of their scholarships so that I could come and play. And so that was, I, I think what ended up happening me during that time is what really shaped my path in running um, today, because I saw my teammates give up something they had worked so hard for so that I could have the experience that they had. And that just changed my whole view of sport. Um, and then every summer I would go and do like a humanitarian project in a different country. Mm -hmm. And I realized that soccer is the most popular sport in the world. And it was one of the best ways to overcome the language barrier and connect with people. I could connect with people for it. Mm -hmm. So I would walk into, you know, if I was with my team, you know, I, one of the places I went to was South Africa. We were in some very extremely devastated, impoverished areas where people lived in the mud and, you know, their houses were built out of trash and they would play soccer with like, you know, a sponge. And I remember walking in with, with my team at that time and we walked in and we dropped a soccer ball on the ground and it was like instantly hundreds of people gathered around. It's like, wow, shiny new soccer ball. And, it, and we use that as an opportunity to reach these people, to encourage them, um, to talk with them and listen to them. And it just, you know, for four years in that college, I would do that every summer. I'd travel to another country and, and, you know, one year I went to Hungary, one year I was in Ukraine, um, China, I, Mexico, I went all over and just realized like, wow, soccer is so powerful. It, and it's so not about who's winning and, and the sport. And so, um, you know, after I graduated from, from college, what never left me was that competitive, just deep drive of, to be an athlete. And so I went on to become a freshman English teacher. I coached soccer and I was like, you know what, I'm going to run. Like I'll train for a marathon, which everyone thought was ludicrous. Cause I was just known as a soccer player. They're like, yeah. seriously, you're going to run 26 miles. <laughs> and I was very much like, dude, like we, as a soccer player, you run like five to seven miles a day. So even to this day, I've never, ever, ever raced a 5k or a 10k, um, even a half marathon. I did one half marathon in the lead up to my, my marathon, but just as kind of like a training thing, I hopped in on it, but you know, after I did that marathon, I was like, Oh, that was really fun. Like I, I like that. And it kind of fed that, that desire in me to keep training. And so, um, it was really just three or four years of one race a year of endurance running. And, you know, I did that while I did other, you know, uh, other things with my life. I, I got married. I had a couple kids. Um, I lived in Washington DC for a few years. I had my daughter out there. I ran Boston Marathon out there, Marine Corps Marathon, six months six months after my daughter was born, but nothing that was like amazing results. And when my kids were like one and two, I remember sitting down with the Runners World magazine and reading about Ann Trayson and Dean Carnazes and like Jen Shelton and these fifty and one hundred mile races, and I thought that is insane that people can run that far. Yeah, that's amazing. And so, really, that is my curiosity and wonder for the human body is how I actually started to embark and really learn and, and discover ultra and trail running. So you read that article, like so many of us, Dean Carnazes was the gateway drug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. He's a legend. Yeah. I mean, in, in, in his own, he's just been such a positive 
role model and, and really helping everyone discover this sport. Right. Um, but you know, there's a lot of spouses out there that hate yeah. that guy's gut. You know, yeah. it's like, damn Carnassus. <laughs> right. Right. I know. So true. Yes. God. People that got the bug. Darn it. God yeah. damn it. That Carnassus yeah. guy. <laughs> totally. Oh my gosh. So, so funny. Do you, do you go look for a race at this point after you read about them? You're like, okay, I've, I've got to try this, this ultra thing. What was your first ultra? So my first ultra was American River 50. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons why I chose that one, and this is just kind of how my personality goes, is because I I understood that by getting in the top three in that race that you would get this weird ticket admission to a race called Western States 100. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought... Dude, why not make my first ultra also a golden ticket to Western States, even though I have no idea what I'm doing. Like everything, you know, even running my marathons. I remember the first time I ran a marathon, um, you know, I finished with blisters and bloody toenails. It took me four and a half hours. I had no idea what I was doing. I was really fit, but I had no idea how to pace or like how you run those things. Right. And so as soon as I finished, I, I, is when I learned about Boston, I was like, Oh, there's like a special time that you need to get to go run Boston. Okay. Well, I'm going to do that. And so my second race, I qualified for Boston. So I had the same mindset with doing American river 50. I thought, well, wh- I'm not going to do a 50 K. Cause that's just only like, what is that? Five more miles more than a marathon. That's not a challenge. I'm going to do 50 miles. And you know what? I'm also going to try and get a ticket to Western States. So. Now, now, Sally, <laughs> I've interviewed people that have had a very similar first ultramarathon experience. Um, yeah. One runner that comes to mind is Max King. Oh, who, my gosh. He's so amazing. Right. He, he ran his first ultra. But I, I, I'm always like hoping because I, the, the better story to me is – someone who has found a lot of success in this sport like blowing up and just just having a miserable first time and <laughs> and and max did blow up at his first ultra but he was so far ahead of second place that he walked for like seven miles and still won. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. That guy is incredible on so many distances. So many surfaces. I mean, it's steep. He's a steeplechaser too. I mean, he's amazing. So that, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Max King. <laughs> so, I, so I'm hoping now, Sally, don't, we will not judge you. Just know that the listeners of the adventure jogger, if you say to me, well, you know, I had that goal to get into Western States, my first American river 50 and gosh, darn it. I got it. It was, it was great. I didn't have any stomach issues. I ran really fast the whole time. I set a course record on my first 50. <laughs> we will not judge you, Sally. Oh, I love it. But my fingers are crossed that, you, you know, you crapped your pants and you had to walk for 20 miles, but <laughs> how did, how did the American river 50 go for you? <laughs> Well, I ended up in seventh place, not third place. Oh. Uh, you know, it was it was the time of my life. I loved it, but I learned a very hard lesson that day. See, I had trained for that race the same way I did for a marathon, which I still think is a good way to train for, for a 50-miler. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you should still do the tempo runs and the hill repeats and have good solid long runs. What I did not train for and did not pay attention to, because there wasn't a ton of information out when I when I first started. This was back in 2010. Yeah. So, you know, what I discovered was that you uh, need to have electrolytes and more than 200 calories if you're going to do a 50 miler or else you're going to be a world of pain and completely seizing up all muscles cramping by the time you hit mile 34, which very much happened to me. So I was, I think I did the first half of that race, like in three and a half hours or something like that. Like I was just flying, like totally enjoying myself. I think I was like in, in third or fourth place for quite a while. And so I really believed I was going to get that ticket. And I thought I was moving at such a comfortable pace that I was like, dude, I'm going to like just open it up the second half. I mean, still like having no idea what open it up the second half. I'm going to open it up for the, uh, for the marathon there at the end. Like I was so stupid, but, um, so I get to mile like 34 ish and my muscles in my calves just seize up. Like I've never felt in my entire life. And I immediately just let out this loud yell on the trails. And this very nice gentleman, a runner by the name of John Blue, he comes running back. Are you okay? And I tell him what's going on. And he's like, oh, he's like, when was the last time you ate something or had salt? And I was like, what? I go, I've been going on water. I had a bottle of Cytomax at the start because (laughs) Cytomax is what Ryan Hall uses. And he's a great runner. So... Was I supposed to take more than that one bottle? Um, yeah, I had no idea. So he gives me a couple salt tabs. He tells me, go back to the aid station that we just left, which was only like 100 yards um, yeah. away. Go back and eat something, like grab some food. And I was like, like eat food? So I go back, I eat a couple potatoes with salt you know, all over them. Um, I walk for like a good half mile uh, I pick up my pacer. I'm starting to feel a little bit better. Like I, I realize right away, like I can just taste it and feel it in my body. Oh, I totally needed that. So um, I fell back to seventh place, which is where I, I pretty much finished. Um, but I, you know, I loved it so much that um, that uh, that five weeks later, I signed up for another 50 miler. And I got second place at that one. And then a week after that, I did another 50 miler and got second place at that one. And I thought, Hey, I think I'm pretty good at this ultra thing, (laughs) but I was such an idiot at like, even like pacing because I kept racing like these big races over and over again that, um, within, so that was April. By the time it was November, I was severely injured. (laughs) Like my first year was all about, learning, like learning and pacing myself, even if though I was like good at it and I was fit, that didn't mean that it was healthy to, you know, to do six fifties and a hundred K all at once. And the problem was, was that I was, I was getting on the podium every single time. And so I became really arrogant and was just like, no, like my body's made for this. I'm going to keep going. Well, then I spent all of 2011 just rehabbing because I, you know, I didn't know what I was doing, but it was a great lesson for me in training, right. Pacing myself, not getting greedy, um, really honing in like the strength training and what it meant to truly recover. Because even now we see this too, like ultra running and, and truly any like endurance sport, it's very easy, especially with social media 
to overdo it and to think that you need to be running this high mileage all the time, mm-hmm. be racing every weekend. Um, and we've seen it in a, you know, once I, I turned pro in, in 2014, one of the saddest things that I, I realized in that was that, you know, you're going to see these great athletes for two years and then you never see them again Yep. because then they're just chronically injured. They're burnt out and they're never able to get back to where they were. So I was very grateful to have those first couple years where I was pretty much drowning trying to figure out the sport because there wasn't a lot of information out there. There wasn't a lot of coaches or books or, you know, it was like you really had to learn on your own how to do stuff. And so by the time I hit, um, you know, 2011 and 2012, I got pretty injured too. I had another injury in 2013. I spent those first three years just figuring it out. And then as I entered 2013, I was like, I am going to nail it this year. Like, I love it so much. I'm doing well, but I'm not doing it right. I'm going to do it right. And so I really dedicated all of 2013 to just training wisely and being patient and being the best that I could be when I I walked up to those start lines, signing up for the most competitive races I could find. And um, so 2013 was a real turning point for me and really – um, unbeknownst to me during that whole year is when, um, you know, some sponsors were, were watching me and then finally reached out to me at the end of 2013. So, um, it was just such a a dream come true pathway, but the first three years of it took a lot of learning and patience and and perseverance on, on my part to not give up. And, um, you know, really just the culmination of, of a, of a childhood dream really that I had had, you know, for my entire life of, of becoming, a professional athlete. So you, you talk about the ultra years before the big boom. And I think the mm-hmm. boom kind of started 2016, 2017. And we're kind of mm-hmm. riding that boom now. I mean, back when you were kind of, you know, getting in your stride, pun intended, mm-hmm. and you're starting yeah. to, to really excel in the sport, there was probably only two ultra running podcasts available um, what in the hell did you do uh, during, listen to during <laughs> yeah. all of your runs? Yeah. In, in 2010, um, yeah, I would say from 2010 to 2013, I felt like ultra running was budding. Mm-hmm. So, um, around 2013, cause I remember a few of my friends and I, like we were all trying to see if we could make a career out of trail running. Yeah. Cause what we noticed by the time 2013, 2014 hit, that's when all the brands started to come into the scene. We're like, Whoa, everyone has a team now. So it was like Solomon, Patagonia, North face, Nike, like, um, what was the other, the other, there was another big one too. Um, Hoka wasn't in there yet. There was a couple ultra mm-hmm. and it was like, everyone is forming these teams. And like, suddenly like everyone knew about ultra running. Well, even before that, in those first couple of years, like I was just doing research online constantly. So I was like, I would type in keywords, ultra runner in Facebook and just see if people popped up <laughs> and I would message them on Facebook. I mean, it was hilarious because <laughs> these random strangers, but the trail running community is so friendly. And so, you know, I'd, I'd be messaging with these people and then I'd like meet them at a race and they were so kind. And I'd just be like, thank you for helping me like figure this out. Like you're awesome. And then I'd go on YouTube and I'd try to find like races and it was a bunch of just really junky, shaky footage of stuff <laughs> that it really made the sport look weird. Cause it was like set to like disco, like ele- electric electronic music. And you're like, okay, so this guy in Sweden ran this 
80 mile like race through the hills and it looks weird and slow like is this actually a sport you can do for a living like yeah so it was it was really weird um and you know i have a couple good friends that are filmmakers ethan newberry the ginger runner and billy yang um they came into the scene as filmmakers right at right as the it was exploding too so now those that are just entering our sport they they are very familiar with both of those guys films. Like they really help set the presidents and really help people understand and see what our sport is. Um, 2014, I made that, that movie Western time with Billy. It was his first, yes. film, which is so different than his films now, but we still talk about it all the time because, you know, when I went to Western States in 2014, it was the most amazing experience. It was magical. It was awesome. You know, um, I had won my my spot there, so I, it was like this hard-earned spot into Western States, which was a dream of mine to do. But the thing is, because of that film, and and Ethan did a film also on my race. Um, it's called Crewing States. So both of them put out these films on this race. Well, I will tell you what: 2015 and 2016 at Western States was a completely different experience for me. Mm-hmm. It was almost overwhelming for me. Um, and I remember going back to that race with my same crew and all of us talking about that. We're like, holy crap, what did that film do? And suddenly the lottery exploded. Um, every person I would talk to, and, and, and by the time I hit 15 and 16, I was then mostly racing internationally. And every time I would travel, <clears throat> people would bring up those films. They would bring up Western states. And everything was like, Sally, you are Western States. You're going to be going back to Western States. Like I want to do Western States because of that film. Like you've inspired me. I had no idea about that race. And, you know, I'm talking to people in Italy and South Africa and France and Australia and New Zealand, and everyone wants to do Western States. Well, of course we know where it is now. It's like one in a, you know, 100,000 of people are going to get picked for that race because the lottery is so full. But what we learned in those early years in ultra running was the power of social media, of film, of podcasts. This is what is bringing our our sport to life on so many levels. But for me, by the time I hit 2016, it was two months before I was um, two months before Western States that I decided in my heart. And Ann Trayson was my coach at this time, and I was like, you know, like I just don't like I love Western States so much. But I, I'm so much more than that race, like my career and like what it is that I'm doing. Like I want to see the world. This has been a dream of mine. But it, I was also being defined by that race too. And Anne Trayson sat me down and she said, Sally, one of the things, because she ran, she won that thing mm-hmm. 14 times. Yeah. And I would stay with her like every other weekend for three days and train on that course. And, um, the room that I would stay in, it was, she called it the yellow room. It was all decorated yellow and had all her trophies in it. And that was my room that I would stay in. And I remember having this really heartfelt conversation with her one night. And she said, you know, Sally, I I know that you're getting invited to these races around the world and that's where your heart is. And so many people have this expectation because of Western time. And, you know, this is your third time going back to Western States, but I'll tell you, do do what you love. If you want to travel, do that. Because if there's anything that I regret in my career, it's that I didn't take advantage of all of those races that I was invited to around the world, that I didn't travel more, that I didn't do more. And she did a ton already. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. she did 
comrades and set all these world records. I mean, she's one of the most decorated, most incredible female ultra runners of all time. And, you know, so I really took those words to heart. And so I made that, that decision. And I said, you know, then I'm going to do that. Like, I love Western States. I know I'm going to miss it, but I'm going to make this my last year and, and I'm going to see what else is out there. But I think that um, our sport and its growth as, as we've seen it really, really explode um, 15, 16. Um, it is, it, you know, it's taken on a new shape, a new form, but man, I, my heart is just like so happy knowing like, you know, me and my buddies, we kind of got to be in the grassroots of that and, and we've been able to see it change. And, um, and it's been really exciting. I've, i I'm so grateful that I was, I got in it at the time that I did. Now, I'm not going to hold a grudge against Ethan Newberry or Billy Yang. <laughs> Neither of them have returned my emails or calls. And I oh, will man. say that Maggie Guterell, who who I oh, love. I love Maggie. She's I, my girl. I love Maggie, too. Maggie's like, yeah. I'm going to hook you up. I'm going to get Billy Yang uh, on your podcast. Let me <laughs> Let me email both of you at the same time, and then you guys can coordinate something. And so I'm like, oh, this is my in. This is, this is, this is my in with the Yang. And so, and so she sent the email and I'm like, oh, here we go. Nothing. So (laughs) so, please, please know that that's common. Okay. I'm like, this dude doesn't like adventure jogging. This guy is, this guy is not, but, but I don't hold the grudge because I've, I've read books that have said that, that that's not a healthy way to live your life. So, you know, I don't want to die at 60, but uh, since since you bring up Western (laughs) time, I do, I do love that movie and, and it, it's, it's, it's before Billy Yang kind of, it was real early Billy Yang before. Yeah. It's very raw before he, he had a lot of Yang isms that he developed over, over time that now you could watch a movie and go, Oh, that's, that's a Billy Yang movie. Cause he's got some, yeah. some things that he does. He, you know, Coppola does the same thing in his, in his mm-hmm. movies. But what I loved about Western time was the perseverance because that was a great example of something not going to plan. And, and I'm sure you had much bigger and loftier goals for that race than you had. And you got to see in that movie, you get to see you battling through some absolute horrible things, having to, to, to change the plan and adapt and overcome. And just the spirit like that movie, had you done really well, it had no problems. That movie would have sucked. But since you <laughs> since you had to deal with so much, it really it really embodies the spirit of the sport. Um, I'm sure you would have liked to have <laughs> like. I really wish I didn't have to suffer, but I think your suffering yeah. it, it made it so, made the sport so much more real for people. If that makes sense. Absolutely, and I I will say, Ryan, I've had so many people tell me that, and I I think that is just true in life as a whole. Um, you know, I did a little, I, I wrote a little bit about this a couple years ago. I, I, you know, standing on a podium as, as wonderful that feeling it is, it's, it's also lonely and fleeting. Mm-hmm. However, the, you know, humans, the way that we connect, sometimes the most deepest and real way we connect is in our struggle. Um, because every human on the planet will have struggles in their life and we can all understand that. But 
you know, this, the different successes and triumphs that we have, you know, they're, they're kind of all over the place and at, at different scale and, um, you know, and, and they're fleeting and sometimes they can be alienating. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, that race and, and me and the guys like the, my crew, man, I, I love those guys so much. They're like my brothers, Colin and David and, um, Josh mm-hmm. and Ethan and Billy, you know, they, the, the back end of that story is that, you know, I ran with those guys for a few years. Like I, um, you know, I talked about it earlier. I was very much like a tomboy. Like I, a little rough around the edges. I love training with guys. Um, they just, they push me super hard. There's, there's no sympathy when I'm struggling on a climb. It's like suck it up buttercup and they're in they're fast and they're gritty. And, um, you know, and they were like big brothers to me when I first started navigating the sport, I wasn't great at it. You know, I was fit, but I wasn't, I wasn't a great mountain runner. I wasn't a great climber. Like I, you know, I was terrified of running in the dark, like, and those guys, I ran with them on my first night run and, and, you know, they took me on my longest runs for the first time. And, you know, they saw me at my lowest lows. I mean, so much of that Billy and I talked about it. I'm like, he's like, dude, we could make this a two hour film. Cause there's so many pieces of that story that mean so much to me, so much more than, than, you know, getting in the top 10, um, those guys. And I, I tell them every, every year, Western States come, comes around, we'll shoot, shoot pictures to each other and stories. And I say, I'll, I'll always cherish those years that we had at Western States together for so much more than the miles that we, that we shared, because you guys are just amazing friends. Like you Mm -hmm. have seen me in my worst and lowest times and you gave up your vacation time, time away from your family to help me reach a goal. And I think a lot in the ultra in trail running community, what we don't often give enough attention to is the crew. I mean, I I couldn't have done what I did on that day without them. I really don't believe that I would have gotten in top 10 because um, what Billy wasn't able to capture because he's, you know, he wasn't allowed to be out there running with us were the conversations that we had on the trail. I mean, Mm -hmm. when, when Dave picked me up at Forest Hill, my heart was so low. Like I, I, I was like, Hey, let's just enjoy these miles together. Like I'm in 17th place. Like my knee hurts so bad. And this is just, you know, obviously wasn't the day that I trained for but you know, I want to enjoy this. Like this is freaking Western States. And I remember Dave being like, you know what, Sally, why not you? Like, I know your knee hurts, but you don't know what's ahead. He's like, there, people are struggling. There's been carnage all day. Like, what if we come across somebody in a couple miles that's struggling and you pass them? Like, are you still going to keep the same attitude? And so he just continued to talk to me like that. And when we did, like within a first couple miles, he was right. I, I passed a girl and he's like, now you're in 16th place. Now what? And he's like, we're going to count. And I don't want you to focus on the pain. I want you to focus on moving up. And so for those next 18 miles, that's all we did. And by the time I went to pick up my second um, pacer, it was Colin, I was in 10th place. And even Colin was like, you know, 10th place is the worst place to be, right? Because now you're being chased. Mm -hmm. And Colin... Colin and David have the most opposite personalities. So Colin has always been very firm with me, like zero sympathy whatsoever. (laughs) So for those three years, I always put him 
at the back end. And I was usually vomiting when running with him because (laughs) he just didn't care. He's like, you need to tell the pain to shut up and you need to keep moving hard. So, you know, when I think about Western States, when people bring up like, wow, it's so amazing to watch you struggle. You know, I always like to, to also bring up like, it's so amazing what we can do together. It's this sport is so beautiful because of the team, because of the crew, because of the people that believe in us when we're at our lowest. And really that is such a beautiful parallel to life. Like we're not meant to be these standalone, Hey, I'm tough as nails. Look at how amazing I am. I'm going to go through life on my own and carve my own path. It's like when you're connected with people who believe in you, when you're at your lowest lows and your highest highs, that is what makes life so incredible. And that is truly what made that race so amazing. Sally, I wanted to ask you about this because I think you have, a, you have an interesting perspective having seen mm-hmm. ultra running over the last decade. Um, when you got into ultra running, it was much like ladies night at a local bar, a whole lot of guys <laughs> and like one or two. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. Uh, we're, all yeah. The, we're all the chooks out. Um, yeah, it was like three to one. Yeah. Like, up until like 2015, 2016. Um, it, it was, it would be, if there was, let's say there was 200 guys at the start line, you know, there'd be like 30 girls. What happened? Cause now you see the sport edging closer and closer to a pretty even 50, 50 split. And you've even got some race directors, uh, Jason green, who's a great race director of the Yeti trail run series, mm-hmm. uh, out here on the beast coast. You see some of his races are actually higher percentage of women, uh, than men in the races because he says a good job of taking all the 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 macho ness you know out of it and making it more than just a competition. What have you seen that you think has kind of led the sport to move more towards a fifty fifty distribution instead of just like two hundred guys and one gal? <laughs> well, I I think it's like anything in the history of sport, um, it just takes a handful of people to show humanity what is possible. And I think when it comes to the ultra running, when it, when it first started out, um, I noticed two things. One ultras in of themselves, they take more time out of your day, Mm -hmm. not only to train for, but if you're racing. Yeah. So, there's one demographic of women who are, you know, they're raising children at home. They are, you know, taking care of, of, of things around the house. And, you know, I'm, I'm a mother and a wife. I love being a mom. I love being a wife. I love cooking and sewing all of that. Like, but I also love being out on the trails and running hundred miles and being dirty and being everything that I was made to be and pursuing my passion. I think there's a beautiful balance in both. Mm-hmm. However, I don't always believe that that message is very clearly communicated or even thought possible. And I don't believe it's because guys are saying that, you know, as a young mom, when I was pursuing, uh, you know, the idea of becoming a professional athlete in the sport of ultra and trail running, you know, I wasn't exactly supported by women, you know, especially Mm -hmm. because I was a mom. You know, and moms you'll, you'll see on social media and just about, they talk about mom shame. They talk about mom guilt. They talk about, 
you know, the, these mom circles where y'all get together and you do play dates and, um, you know, everything is about your kid's social schedule and their sports schedule and their school schedule. And it's like, Oh, I spent all my whole day in my minivan and, um, you know, and, and then if I ever do something for myself, I just feel so guilty. And, you know, there was a time when my, when my kids were babies, where I had to make a very, very powerful decision in my life where I, where I really believed this is not the way it has to be. I'm not going to live my life comparing myself to other moms and how they do life in their own homes, because every family is different. Every child that, that is born is different and has its own unique needs and, and, and personalities and things like that. How every home operates is unique. And so I am going to discover for myself how our family operates, how I can be the best mom I can possibly be, be the most present mom I can be, and show my children how to still pursue their dreams and their passions and be everything that they were made to be. And so I, I think that um, what has changed since I have started in this sport back, back in 2010 is, yes, there's more conversation about women just being strong and empowered and do the things you love and be a strong mom and do what you never thought was possible. And there's more groups supporting that. And when it comes to running specifically, I think because there's more education, there's more books, there's more films, the social media is so powerful. Women are actually watching and seeing like, oh, that's how you do it. Or, oh, wait, I can do that. I can fit that in or that's what that looks like i thought it was going to be like bears and lions chasing after me if i did this trail run because i talked to women all the time that were they're just terrified of running at night around animals and i'm like well that isn't what it is like watch these films and read these books and you know follow me and i'll show you what it really looks like so i think it definitely is a twofold it's these films and social media is able to educate people on the sport and really firsthand show them what it looks like to do a trail race. Mm -hmm. And then on the second hand, we're also seeing more support just of women as a whole in the community, more support of, Hey, get out, use your body. You can do this. You are capable. And there's a lot of people cheering the women on, but in that same breath, I have to say that, um, I don't, I don't, typically, and if you have followed me for any stretch of time on social media, I've always been a strong believer, even since I was a little girl, that if you want to be a strong woman, then live a strong life and live it out in your actions. You know, I, I don't get on my platform and, you know, berate men or, you know, I don't get on there and just, you know, only talk about women's issues because I have so much gratitude for the men in my life who have helped me get to where I am today. I mean, training with men was the best thing that I could do. I got faster and stronger. And it was the men who were the most supportive of me in my journey. I didn't have a lot of supportive women of me in my journey. I had mm -hmm. men. And so for me and staying true to myself and my journey, I think we celebrate the woman and we celebrate the men and realize we need each other equally. And we all have our strengths. We have our weaknesses. Um, and so I love to see more women come out to that start line. Nothing excites me more. I'm a mother of a son and a daughter, and I want to raise them both in that way where you are both strong and we can support each other, um, equally. So 
you know, that's probably like a, maybe too strong of a stance, but, um, <laughs> but that is like where I will always tread. You know, I get a lot of like, Hey, can you hop on this social media, um, you know, women's movement. And I'm like, dude, I'm all for it. But the, our strongest voice is in how we live and, and showing appreciation for each other. So, you know, the races that I walk up to, it's like, wow, we have come a long way and this is such a beautiful thing. And I, I really hope that that, you know, that continues in a very positive, uh, a positive light. Okay. So Sally, all that being said, you are a mother mm-hmm. of two. I'm a father yeah. of three. Um, okay. Do you have a minivan? No. And I refused <sighs> from the time I was pregnant. I told my husband, I will never, ever, ever <laughs> be a minivan owner. And it was hilarious because he, uh, his car broke down mm-hmm. and you didn't have a second car. I had this, like, I had this little like sports coupe type car that gets really good gas mileage for all my mountain adventures well, what do you have and, you got to uh, tell us now you can't just leave it out there like that <laughs> it's just a little ford focus oh, okay. it gets right. like amazing gas mileage has a good little hatchback so it's a big trunk for all of my stuff mm-hmm. uh, i can sleep in it um but my husband ended up having a minivan that i refused to drive and i refused to do family outings in because i grew up in a family of seven so we always had a van and uh, the even church the, van it's a little different yeah, it literally <laughs> literally the church van is is what he drove i'm not i kid you not and um but when when i became a mom i was like i guess i kind of just pushed against a lot of like hey are you gonna wear mom jeans and um join the mom circle and drive a van and i was like i'm gonna do none of that i'm going to run up mountains and <laughs> Okay. Take my kids out on the trails and <laughs> I hear you, Sally. I hear you. But I, my you have wa- a van, don't we, you? We were the same way. Yes. My, we have just we don't have any van, Sally. We have a swagger wagon. That's that's what we have. I love that skit. Oh my god. So, so, so good. We fought it too, because we wanted to be cool. We were like, yeah. we are cool parents. Um, right. We are going to uh, never drive a minivan. And then um, yeah. we had, when remember when PT Cruisers were cool, Sally? Oh, yeah. It was yeah, like, for a hot minute. Yeah, it was like a six-month period where PT Cruisers were cool. And, yeah. and we had one. Um, we got our PT Cruiser in the fifth month, third week of their six-month cool cycle so like like we had like one week to be really cool people and then we were just dorks and so trying to get three car seats in the back of a pt cruiser oh my god it was great for a week when we were really cool but once the coolness wore off we were just dorks that were being impractical and so we, we traded that in and then we got a minivan and i will tell you sally captain in that ship i feel pretty damn good about myself <laughs> and you know what mm-hmm. i've i've been in many in several minivans recently especially as we've done these little filming projects the whole crew piles into one they're awesome because all the seats recline mm-hmm. they're easy in easy out you can load a lot of stuff in it i'll tell you it is it's a very comfortable way to travel when you have a lot of people so um, no, I'm definitely not talking down on the minivan. <laughs> definitely. I'm so happy now that, uh, you know, my kids are 12 and 14 now. So, 
you know, we're, we're past the minivan, um, need. And, uh, <laughs> my husband has a truck now, but, um, yeah, they're, they're great, great vans and great, great way to travel, but not for me. <laughs> um, Sally, my kids are 19, 16 and 14 oh, okay. and you will Aww. pry that minivan from my cold dead hands. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You fully embraced it. (laughs) We are 100% listener supported. You can make a monthly pledge on our Patreon page. Just search the Adventure Jogger on Patreon or go to theadventurejogger.com. Join the community on Facebook and Instagram by searching The Adventure Jogger. And subscribe to The Adventure Jogger wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single episode. 